You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Acts chapter 2 will be our sermon text this morning. We'll begin our our reading in in, uh, verse 37. And we'll go through verse 47. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42 And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, verse 47, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. Starting this week and for the next couple of weeks, I want for us to turn to the scriptures in order to reacquaint ourselves with what it means to be together, what it means to be God's people together. I want us to learn or relearn perhaps what it means to dignify one another as Christ's own image bearers and what it means for us together to engage in both Christian discipleship, that growth in Christian maturity and Christian mission, the hope of the world, Christ's gospel through his people to neighbor and to nation. It is our aim to learn and relearn what it means to be the church together. I believe we have a lot to learn in this category, and I believe we have a great opportunity in our day to be salt and light to a world that is increasingly isolated and increasingly angry. We have a wonderful opportunity as God's people to be salt and light as we walk this out together. And so to begin our time, we'll turn our attention here to Acts chapter 2, which is the purest example 
This is the purest example of what it meant to be together as Christ's own people. I know things got really wonky after Acts chapter 2. Like the rest of the New Testament are letters written to conflict that broke out in the churches. There's a lot for us to learn about conflicts and how to resolve issues together. But I want us for just a moment to drink in, to see the vision of God's people together in its purest form. Our text in Acts chapter 2, you'll know, comes after 120 Christians were gathered together. Just 120 after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. God says to his people, gather together, pray, and wait. Wait for the comforter. Wait for the helper. Wait for the Holy Spirit who will come upon you. Wait and pray. That's all you're to do, church. Wait and pray. And 120 of them took him seriously. And they prayed. They went to the upper room and they prayed. That's what they did. They prayed. And they prayed. And then God showed up like a mighty rushing wind. Luke, our author, tells us like a mighty rushing wind filled that room and filled them with gospel power and gospel courage. And they came together and they began proclaiming the mighty works of God in all kinds of languages. And this was happening at Pentecost, which is why they're speaking in other languages, because at Pentecost, you've got the nations are represented for that feast day. And so God, the Holy Spirit shows up and the church is moved with power and moved with courage. And they begin preaching the gospel in many languages and people who are passing by hear their native tongue from people who do not speak their native tongue. And they are curious. What is going on here at the middle of this feast of Pentecost? What is happening in our city? And then Peter stands up. And he preaches the pure, clear gospel. If you read, I encourage you to read Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. It's not fantastic in the sense that it's full of these eloquent words and, and, and metaphors and illustrations. It's just simple gospel. The life, death, and resurrection for sinners. And he preaches it. And then we're told in our text here in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, look at verse 37. This is the, this is the effect. This is the response to pre- Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And when they heard the gospel, when they heard this, they, that is the people gathered there wondering what's going on in this upper room, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart and then they asked a very simple question. What do we do now? The first thing we learn about Christianity, and I am glad to bring this first thing on the first Sunday of the new year. The first thing we learn about Christianity from this purest history is that before God does anything through you, he first does something to you. Before God does anything through you, he must first do something to you. In the following verses, as we get to verse 42 and beyond, we're going to learn all about what it means for Christ to work through you in the church and for your neighbor. But before God moves through you, he first does something miraculous to you. 
the text says that after those heard the gospel, they were cut to the heart. They didn't do any cutting. They received the cutting. They were cut to the heart. This is the Holy Spirit's work to convict a person of their sin. Someone cut to the heart is someone who knows they are guilty before God. And they know there is nothing that they can do to pardon their own shame, to cover their own sin. They're cut to the heart. That's why their question is, what do we do? We're, we're, we're busted. We're fully exposed before God's Holy Spirit who has discerned our thoughts and our motives and our intentions and they're cut to the heart. Have you been cut to the heart? It would be a tragedy if you were a part of this church learning about Christianity, about how the gospel moves through you, about what it means to be a member in the church, what it means to take communion doing all of those things, having not been cut to the heart, fully busted, fully exposed before a holy God. Before God does anything through you, he does something to you. And so Peter says, in in answering their question, what shall we do? Peter answers, he says in verse 38, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the most fundamental, foundational claim of Christianity. The pardon for sin through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. There are no deeper waters than that. There are no life hacks beyond that. This is the deepest theological waters we have. Christ's pardon for sin through his body and through his blood for sinners. And we learn in glorious history that 3,000 souls that day, 3,000 souls were converted, were cut to the heart, were baptized into the church And the church was born and it was birthed through the Holy Spirit. And you and I are sitting here with believing ears because this is true. Before God moves through you, he must do something to you. That is Christianity in its purest form. So the question and where I want to end or we want to spend the rest of our time this morning is to answer the question, what happened after 3,000 souls were baptized? What did the church look like? What did they do? What did Christianity look like among the people of God? What happened after 3,000 souls were added to the church? Did they all go their separate ways never to speak again? (laughs) Right, right. That was an interesting experience. See you later. Did they go on arguing about politics? And do they draw lines in the sand regarding culture wars and current events? No, the church in its purest form devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to Christ and to each other. 
they dignified each other. As fellow image bearers of God, redeemed by the same blood, multiple nations were gathered, hearing the mighty works of God in their own tongue, and they were moved together. Yeah, I know, students of the Bible, it didn't take long for conflict to break out in the church. Our deal is masks and vaccines. Theirs was circumcision. So we, all, we always have conflict in the church. I know, I know that it didn't take long for conflict to enter the church in the first century. And there's much to be said about how Christians ought to disagree about secondary things. But this morning, I want us to just drink in again the beauty and simplicity of life together in and around Jesus Christ. And might the Holy Spirit just move again. Might he just move again where we are, where, where love covers a multitude of sins, where love covers a multitude of differences of opinions, where we all are, have this fascinating view of Christ and he just captures our imagination I heard this from an old friend of mine, preacher. He said, I, I want our church to be like, and the metaphor, every metaphor falls apart at some point, but like this, like there's a concert happening. If you've ever been to a concert, we haven't been to those lately, but if you've been to a concert, there's a stage and there's lights and there's the band that everybody's wanting to see. They're all there to see this band and, and you're all jammed up in there. And, and, and you're bumping against each other and some people are stepping on your, your feet and some people smell weird and there's just all kinds of things and smells and dynamics happening at a concert. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, nope. But anyway, so I'll keep, keep it going. But you don't mind the bumping and the stepping because everyone is focused on the main thing. That's where the metaphor, that's what I'm trying to get at. If we come in and we're focused on Christ, his gospel for sinners, his ongoing nourishing of our souls, if we're focused on that, we are going to endure a lot of bumping and stepping, differences of opinions about all kinds of things because we're enamored. We're enamored by the main thing. And I think that's what this text, we're going to get into this, but they, they're in awe of God. They're in awe of God. And so I want us to drink in this morning the beauty and simplicity of life together in and around Jesus Christ. So let's, let's move through this in the next couple of minutes. Look at verse 42. This is what happened after. And they, that is the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. One sentence, verse 42. Luke is summarizing the transforming effect of the gospel preached and those hearts that were cut and those lives that were baptized. Verse 42 is summarizing the transforming effect of the gospel on those who were saved at Pentecost this is a brief but packed full and inspiring vision of what the church does together. The text says that they devoted themselves to certain disciplines. 
They devoted themselves to what has been called the four marks of the church. To God's word, the apostles' doctrine. To the fellowship of the saints. To the sacrament of holy communion. And to prayer. They devoted themselves to these four simple but profound disciplines. And the word devoted here is is interesting. It's in the present active tense. Meaning, they kept devoting themselves. It wasn't a New Year's resi and never to be visited again. They kept devoting themselves to it as normal, normative rhythms in their lives. Not one-off celebrations, not boxes checked, but devotion. Day in and day out, they kept devoting That word also at the root of it is this idea of persevering. Persevering in their devotion. This means to me, as we think about life together at Roots Community Church, as the church together, this means it takes effort. It takes endurance to do life together. Anybody can celebrate a New Year's resolution But it takes the church, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, to endure, to be intentional. Like a family, like a family, being a committed member in a local church is wonderfully inconvenient. It's wonderfully inconvenient. You know this, if you have, you, you, you know, that we're, we, I don't have to even draw this out anymore. We're all coming from Thanksgiving and Christmas. It is wonderful for the family to be gathered and it is inconvenient. Being a part of the church can be messy. We have experienced that here at our church. Being a part of a local church, joining a church can produce really difficult and emotional strain. We have experienced that here. And if you haven't, just hang around for a little bit. We've certainly experienced all of that. But listen, through it all, through it all, when a church is simply devoted to the gospel of Jesus Christ, through word and sacrament, when Christians are committed to each other in fellowship and committed to prayer, there is nothing like it. There is nothing like it. Spurgeon says, and Spurgeon went through it. He went through it. Talk about church hurt and church wounds. Spurgeon, at the end of it all, could say the church, the local church, is the dearest place on earth. It's the dearest place on earth. And so isn't it amazing that the first fruit of those regenerated by the Holy Spirit, here in Acts chapter 2, after repentance, the first fruit is the gathering together of a local church. They were baptized into the family. And they devoted themselves and they kept devoting themselves. Well, let's keep going. Look at verse 43 and verse 44. Here it is. And awe came upon every soul. Awe. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The early church knew 
that they were a part of something different. They knew that they were a part of something unique, something God wrought. They knew that that what was happening at Pentecost was not Peter's doing or John's doing. They knew that God had created this thing called the church and therefore they were in awe of God. Yes, the apostles were the conduit through signs and wonders, the conduit through which signs and wonders were being done, but everyone knew that they were on holy ground. They knew that God was responsible for the birth of the church They knew that the church was no human construct and therefore the church could never be deconstructed. Constructs that gather around the church can be deconstructed day in and day out. But Jesus Christ is not a construct. He is a person and he is the second member of the Trinity and you cannot deconstruct him and those who are in him cannot be deconstructed. And so they knew that they were on holy ground, that God had done this thing. They were in awe because God had done this. They were in awe like Moses before the Red Sea. And God split the seas and they walked, the people of God, the church of the old covenant walked through the waters on dry land. They were in awe of God. Imagine getting to the other side of that and looking back. They were in awe of God like David after he had slain Goliath. Who could do such a thing? David was convinced that his God was mighty enough to slay the giant. They were in awe of God like David. And so the question for me and for you is, when is the last time we were in awe of God as we witnessed the work of the church? When's the last time you, you walked in a sanctuary or the church gathered and you just said, Oh, this is amazing, God. This is amazing. Look at what you've done. You've gathered a people to yourself. This is remarkable. I think one of the reasons that we struggle to be in awe of what God is doing in the gathered local church is I think that we keep looking for the ideal church. And as a result, we miss the glories of the one we're currently a part of. One of the reasons I think that we lose awe in our local church is we sometimes are just looking for the ideal church and we miss the glories of the one we're a part of. I came across this quote from Bonhoeffer during my sabbatical. And if I can just be completely honest with you, I personally was busted by this quote. And, and so I'm going to share it with you so you can be busted too. Bonhoeffer writes this. Listen to Bonhoeffer. This is what, 80 years ago? 100 years? No, not 100 years ago. 80 years ago? Listen to Bonhoeffer. Quote, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful thinking because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Bonhoeffer goes on. He says, it is not we who build the church. Christ will build his church. 
Whoever is mindful to build the church himself is surely well on the way to destroying it, for he will build a temple of idols to himself without wishing or knowing it. Then Bonhoeffer says, we must confess that Christ is the one who builds. We must proclaim he builds. Those who love their dream of a Christian community, and this is where it got me, because as a, as a pastor, sometimes, I mean, I love, I love our people, but sometimes you can only just see the, the flaws and the opportunities for growth and the, the immaturities in yourself as a leader and in the church. And you can, you can just, and you start looking around at other churches like, oh, wow, they have like a lot of reverence at that church. They really just feel like the presence of God and stuff. And oh, wow, they have outreach opportunities. You can, you can just start peeking over the hedge and, and become very discontented and miss the glories of what's happening right in front of me. So I'm busted by this quote as well. But those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community they're a part of become destroyers of that community. I want to move on for just a moment. This doesn't mean that we can't seek to grow, right? And and grow in maturity and grow in Christ-honoring behavior. I think we should pray for that every day. But at the same time, I think we lose awe. We lose the awe of God when we gather when we're focused on what could be more than what we are focused on what the Lord has already brought together. And so the church here in verse 43 and 44, the church is in awe of God. They're in awe of what the Lord has done in and through his son. And now look at how awe toward God inspired generosity toward others. Look at verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling, verse 45, their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Their awe of God inspired generosity toward others. They sold off excess possessions and lands and they distributed the excess of their means to those who were in need. In other words, God's giving provoked their giving. God gave grace and the forgiveness of sins and they gave whatever they had to whoever was in need. Christian giving is always a response to God's giving. They were in awe of what God had done for them and through them in Christ. And now they were eager to be generous to others. This is at the center of tithes and offerings in the church. Giving because God has given. I am giving a portion of my income for the purpose of gospel ministry and gospel mercy. I am giving because God gave. And therefore, it is at the heart behind the gift. It's the heart behind the gift and not the amount of the gift that God is most interested in. In fact, Paul says, if you are giving from a place of begrudging obligation, you're just like, oh man, new year. Here we go. Get out the checkbook, babe. Let's do this thing. Don't give. Paul says, don't even give. Don't give your money. The, the Lord doesn't need it. Now, let me just echo that here at Roosting Church. If you're like, is he talking about giving? Ugh. I'm not talking to you. 
Give only from a place of joy and awe that God has given so much to you in Christ. So awe of God provoked generosity to one another. And I'm proud of you, church, honestly. I am very proud uh, to, to see you guys generously give. And I wasn't planning on seeing this, but internal policies, just so you know, I don't know who gives and how much you give. So I've said this before, like, if you give a whole bunch, don't, don't give me like that wink, like, you know, like, I, I'm going to have no clue what you're doing. I'm just going to think that was really weird that you did that. We don't know who gives and we don't know how much you give. We just know what the total number is month after month. And we are blown away. Every time we present a need, the need is met. And so that doesn't mean for you, if you feel if like the Lord is calling you to give and you're like, oh, good, other people are giving. I don't have to give. I don't think that's the right posture. Giving is a form of worship. We give as, out of what God has given, but, but give it unto the Lord, knowing that your elders are not thinking you're awesome because you did. We, don't, we literally can't see it, but give unto the Lord as he leads. This year, we're going to be looking for a church building. We're going to be looking for a church building because you guys have been generous. And we're going we're gonna to ask in faith for the Lord to, to bring that. But Thanks be to God, awe has come upon us and we freely give because he is freely given. Finally, look at verses 46 and 47 as we close. And day by day, notice the intentionality. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes, they receive their food with gladness and generous hearts. Let me stop there for just one moment. There is this caricature of Christianity along with other religion as it's just this sort of like a list of things you do and a a huge list of things you don't do. And it's just this sort of black and white static life and you just don't do certain things and you go to church and you do your, that is not a picture of the church. That is, a, that is a terrible distortion of the church. The church ought to be a place of gladness of heart, rejoicing. We are forever f- saved by the grace of God. We are free people. There are, there are seasons of sadness and sobriety, I know, but generally speaking, this is the vision of the church. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47 praising God and having favor with all the people. They didn't pick fights with magistrates. They didn't pick fights with neighbors. They did out out of their way to show the generous love of God to their neighbors and to those around them. They were having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So this was the rhythm of life together for the early church. They met corporately in the temple. They met together on the first day of the week. You know why they switched from Saturday to Sunday? Because Jesus rose on Sunday and a new paradigm from worship was born when he rose from the grave. And we all say yes and amen. And so the church said, let's not gather on, on Saturday. Let's gather on Sunday. That is the day of new beginnings because Christ has conquered sin and Satan and death. And so the church for 2000 years has gathered on Sunday, the Lord's day, they called it to set aside a day of worship, corporate worship together. That is the one day that we are commanded not to miss unless you're sick and you can't. 
But as a general rule, this is the work. It's a command. Like I can say this with all authority because it's not my authority. Do not forsake the assembly together, the assembly together. This is what we do. We come together and they came together. They would meet outside of the temple on Solomon's porch. They wouldn't go do sacrifices. Why would they do sacrifices? The lamb of God has come. And so they'd come outside on, on Solomon's temple or they would rent spaces and they would, they would just gather on the Lord's day. Or they would meet in homes if they didn't have a space to, and they would come together and they'd celebrate what God has done every single week. They devoted themselves to it. They planned on it. And then they met from house to house. They gathered publicly and they gathered privately. This was the rhythm of the early church. Now in the coming weeks, we have more to say. Now, we believe the Lord is moving and prompting us, giving us some Wisdom and vision for how we can gather in small groups sustainably here at Roots. So we, we already have life groups and these kinds of things happening, but we want to expand that. And we want to be more intentional with that. So there'll be more things to come on how we gather this year from house to house and break bread. But don't wait for announcements to do this. Don't wait for church structure to invite somebody over to your home to break bread. Like this is an old well. We've talked about this in our time in Genesis. This is a really old well, breaking bread together. And here, if you're like, well, what do you talk about? <laughs> we'll talk about the food first. Thank you for providing the food. This was lovely. Um, tell me about your life. Where were you born? What was your mom and dad like? When did Christ come after you? Tell me about your conversion. Tell me what you do for a living. These kinds of things that we, we do over a meal and we dignify each other in that. Well, thank you for asking about my life. Can I ask you, where were you born here? Oh my, and the stories you'll learn when you just break bread together. So don't wait for a life group to come next, you know, open up next door to your house. Open up your home, Lord willing, when you don't have COVID, open up your home, break bread and ask those very human questions. How are you doing? Where'd you come from? What's Christ up to in your life? They gathered corporately and they gathered privately. And so that's all I want to say this morning. May the Lord find us this new year, devoting ourselves to his word, continuing to devote ourselves to his word, to dignifying his people, to loving this table that we're about to celebrate right now and to praying together. I am not going to rest until all of Roots Community Church cannot wait to come together for our prayer meetings. I think, I think that's when it's done. I retire, right? When everybody comes to the prayer meeting because we're so hungry we're so hungry to pray together and we're so hungry for things unseen. So let's do this. Let's devote ourselves to this. And in the strength of his grace, let's walk out these old paths, these well-worn paths together.